Google announced a new $300 million fact-checking initiative to fight fake news. Progressives roll out some hilarious new climate change talking points. And Don Lemon perfectly illustrates the left's response to last weekend's March for Our Lives. You're listening to the Propaganda Report. I'm Brad Binkley here with Monica Perez. Monica, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm good. It's Uh, a nice day outside today. It's 70s. It's not cold. Yes. I put my turtle out to bask. Yeah, you were talking about your turtle the other day. You were talking about you you feed your turtle and it's like ever expanding when you feed it or something like that. Yeah, it gets bigger and I can't make it less big. So I have to really discipline myself and it begs. So it gets right up against its glass. It lives in a water aquarium thing and it just furiously flaps its arms and legs as if it wants to swim (laughs) through the glass and and you really want to help it you you feel bad for it yeah you feel bad for it and i i was trying to like feed it because i thought it would make it happy and it makes it happy for like five minutes and now it's getting bigger so i've got to pull back on that and i just and it's angry it's an angry turtle red-eared slider and they their eyes they just have these red painting red things on their years i guess and it just makes them look angry all the time it bites me and it's gonna live 40 years so i can't My you know gosh that <laughs> sounds like a I very found it on the street i rescued it i would never incarcerate a wild animal but it was dying and it can't exercise it can't ever lose weight well it's the carapace i don't know how you, how you pronounce it. like the shell gets bigger and maybe it loses weight on the inside but the shell is always going to be big and then it's got a rattle around in this tiny aquarium you know what i mean otherwise you got to get a bigger aquarium if you let it get bigger how old is it now oh i think it's like i found it two years ago so i think it's like three there are some turtles that live like hundreds of years there's like one that's like 200 years old yeah this one's got probably will outlive me i just i want to throw it into a pond but i just i can't bring myself to do you're gonna hear some banging on your door you're gonna open (laughs) up it's gonna be hungry compassion for it but it's so unsympathetic it's angry and it just it it hates me and i i oh my gosh it took me two hours to clean its tank the other day because they're all so filthy it's just the craziest i wish i could offer it up for the love of god but i think god is probably like i gave it to you to eat it (laughs) so you have a belligerent turtle belligerent needy demanding i mean it's, it's like the people who have cats you know they're like oh cats are you know they act like they rule the roost get a turtle see who's boss yeah that's a commitment if you buy a turtle with a bad disposition <laughs> you got a lifelong chore it's really i i feel i try to get you know make it feel like an exercise and gratitude for the ability to perform these tasks but it's yeah turtles and there's some whales that are like can or sharks that can live like 500 years no way yeah there's some that are still at least that's what they say anyway the scientists maybe they're lying i don't know but i know they're trying to reverse engineer the dna of these animals so they can try and figure out how we can live that long yeah Uh and they've probably there's probably some people who figured figure that out because i know back in the 80s there was a doctor who figured out the chromosomes that would enable humans to regenerate limbs and he was studying frogs but as soon as he figured it out as soon as he helped someone heal he helped someone who got into a motorcycle accident heal in like a couple of weeks when normally it would have taken months for someone to heal and he did it by switching a chromosome that he had discovered in frogs and doing experimentations with frogs because frogs can't regenerate either, but he discovered how to enable them to heal 
faster and grow their limbs again. But a chromosome is in every single cell. How could he manipulate a full-grown person that way? I have no idea. I I don't know the science of it. Gene therapy. I don't know what that even is. It's probably similar to the genetic engineering stuff with like CRISPR they're talking or they're doing right Mm -hmm. now. But as soon as this guy figured this out, and this guy was a Navy doctor who had a long list of accomplishments, and he was doing this research for the government. But as soon as he figured this out, they cut off his funding. I'm sure they took all the research, and he ended up having to open up clinics like around Texas and Mexico to continue his research. Oh, that reminds me of Draco, if uh, if there's truth to that. I thought there was at the time where it's a uh, it basically cures viruses. You know, viruses are the things that you can't get a cure for. So it was saying that it can cure this stuff. And uh, what's Draco? And it, Draco is the drug or therapy or whatever that they said would cure everything from herpes to AIDS to Ebola. I don't know what. <clears throat> and mm. it was at MIT and then it was at DARPA. And then the guy's out on the street with a cup saying, I need money for Draco. And I'm like, but I wrote to them. I was like, what do you need money for Draco for? It's like, nobody will fund it. We got kicked out. I don't know why. It's like, oh, because they need stuff like Ebola and AIDS and all that for uh, for the for their agendas. Yeah. So yeah, second biggest industry, right? The pharmaceutical industry. Oh, I don't know, but it's just, it's definitely, um, getting worse and running the show and Obamacare and CDC. And the guy who's going to run the CDC was an AIDS researcher. And I am reading this book by Nancy Turner Banks that, uh, talks about my brother supposedly died of AIDS, but he said it was the AZT that was making him sick. And he got an AIDS test without any symptoms. He just was quitting heroin and wanted a clean bill of health. Well, they didn't give him a clean bill of health. They gave him AZT. And and he thought it was killing him. And now I'm convinced. And Nancy Turner Banks was writing how all the regular tests for viruses, all the science that you would normally apply to viruses, they modify for HIV because what you're seeing, what they're calling a virus, is actually damaged cell parts like RNA and DNA and stuff that's extruded by um, cells in crisis from um, the immunocompromised position. So they have AIDS, they have an autoimmune deficiency syndrome, but it's not caused by a virus. It's caused by stress, lifestyle. It makes you vulnerable to tuberculosis, um, hepatitis, all these things. Uh, And that, so when I saw that the guy was going to run the CDC was an AIDS researcher after reading her book that says that that they have to like they have to be compromised if they are going along with the party line on that because it's just the it's like a myth of what the the real science behind AIDS is so that's why I feel like the CDC is just one big propaganda machine that's in the service of both the health industry and the agendas that um, health crises promote yeah, there's a rabbit hole with healthcare for sure. All right. So Google just announced last week that they are launching a new $300 million program to fight fake news. Another one. They already announced one last year. In fact, they funded the entire origins of the fight against fake news because they are the ones that funded first draft news. I remember, may I interrupt, I remember when they said they were hiring 10,000 human beings to censor YouTube, and about a month later, we had uh, the Parkland 
shooting. And that's, that's when I noticed that YouTube, and that's when I got censored. You got censored. Um, the censors really started to take effect. I would say around Valentine's day this year, 2018, Yeah, they said they hired 10,000 YouTube and, uh, censors. And I think Zuckerberg said he was just hiring 40,000 more Facebook censors. Well, this goes along with some of the themes that are coming out of the Parkland shooting and the March for Life, where only one opinion is allowed March to be heard. March for our lives. March for, the our March lives. for life right. is a pro-life demonstration. Right. Well, the theme was this is not two sides. This is not political. Guns need to be regulated. So it is political. It's the whole idea, all of their literature, all of their propaganda, that there's only one side of this argument. The same thing that Lakoff talks about. This new Google program is kind of playing into that. And I'll play you their video announcement, and then I'll tell you what the prongs of it are and how it could potentially be used against us, which, by the way, I should preface this by saying they're partnered with First Draft News, which is themselves. They helped start that, and that is now currently funded by the Knight Foundation, the Open Society Foundation, George Soros. They are partnered with the International Fact-Checking Network, which is the network that is funded by Soros, the Knight Foundation, also funded by Google, and they determine who is a credible fact-checker, who gets certified as a fact-checker, which they certify Snopes, they certify PolitiFact. It's a completely, completely progressive left-wing bias. The entire operation is. There's nothing unbiased and fair about it. And what they teach people, how they teach people to evaluate fake news is what you've talked about a lot is they teach them to decide which sources they should trust or not, and then they in turn tell them which sources to trust. So this is the groups that they are partnering with on this project. I have this a friend who's like now my litmus test for this stuff because she's so radical. And she literally can't, like when I tell her that my kids sometimes say things that their teachers look at them funny. And I, and my argument is like they, the teachers preach tolerance, but they have no tolerance for other political ideas. And my friend's like, well, that's not another political idea. He's just wrong. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, literally, like right. it's impossible to have a conversation with her. This is an intelligent person. And she just has this idea that, well, why, you know, I said, well, if he was pro-choice, he wouldn't have any problems. But if he was pro-life, he's going to have problems. So I tell him he's got to watch what he says when he's like, whatever. She's like, but he shouldn't be pro-life. He should have problems if he's pro-life, you know? And I'm like, but it's a political thing. Like, I'm not even into it with her. And she's just like, but I don't even understand, like, why they should push back on him when he says stuff like that. It's like that sign that a lot of people at the March for Our Lives were holding that says, protect children outside the womb. <clears throat> but not inside the womb? You yeah, can but apply whatever the rest is. Yeah, that March for Our Lives and March for Life, I noticed it right away, and you, I think, also noticed it, that they are definitely, that was no accident, and... Uh, they act like Republicans are murderers. That's what they say, which like anti-abortion activists will say abortion is murder. And I can understand why they say that. Uh, but Republicans are murderers because Nicholas Cruz allegedly killed some students is more of a stretch. Yeah, yeah it's a little bit more of a but stretch. But they're using the same language. <clears throat> they're co-opting it. That's why I corrected you vehemently. Because uh, I know they're going for that. They're going for conflating the propaganda. Yeah, it's a completely you know, radical march. And they keep saying on the news, there was even an article on CNN today. You even had a caller call in and say this. They're not trying to take your guns. 
maybe they're not right now because the purpose of this, it was a voter drive and they're using the gun thing to exploit people and get them there to exploit their emotions. But they, there are people who do ultimately want to take guns. And there were signs everywhere. People saying, like, I saw one sign saying, yes, actually I am here to take your guns. And the scary thing about that isn't that people had those signs. The scary thing about it is that the people who organize the march provided those signs. So they got ahead of it. Yeah, there was a sign and not just one of them. There was multiple signs, which means this sign was given out by the march organizers. And they even had locations where you could come pick up your signs that they sent out in emails and stuff. So they organized all the signs and they told people what to say. So one of the signs that they passed out was, okay, we will pry it from your cold, dead hands. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, that's they're they're aggressive. They promote violence. And I'll tell you two things. The foreshadowing for the Second Amendment no longer being sacrosanct was the clip you played for me of Stacey Abrams saying, I can call for gun control without paying respect to the Second Amendment. And then today there was an op-ed. I don't know what it was in New York Times or whatever. I was listening to it, it on the radio from former Supreme Court Justice Stevens. I guess he retired a couple yeah. of years ago. He was a Republican. Right. And he called for repealing the Second Amendment. And I'll tell you, that's why I did that hashtag. It will take a Republican. Yep. Yeah. They're, they're getting that theme out there to get it discussed. That's how they do it. They put the idea into the public consciousness. They make them have the debate, and then ultimately they try to push it to where the public ask for the legislation they had already planned on implementing. All right, back to the Google News thing. This is their video announcement. I shortened it a little bit, but – this is the announcement of the Google News Initiative. Access to reliable quality information should be a right of anybody, wherever they live. Today, the journalism industry faces many challenges. Readership has become more fragmented. How can news organizations remain relevant in the digital age? 70% of people can't distinguish between a real story and fake news. Disinformation is on the rise. Trust in media is falling. Journalists are having to do more with less. A lot of the solutions will come from the journalism industry and the tech industry working together. So... We're announcing the Google News Initiative, our effort to enable journalism to thrive in a digital age. It will enable new models for sustainable journalism, elevate quality journalism, and ensure that technology allows journalists to do their jobs even better. Okay, everybody has a right to quality information. That's the Bernie Sanders. Uh, Healthcare has a right. When you start talking about things and rights, then you imply that the government needs to protect those rights. So that means the government needs to decide which information we have access to and, and which information is true and which is not. Secondly, they talk about how everything is fragmented right now because of the digital age. Now, that goes back to Obama's common set of facts. It's no more fragmentation, no more different opinions, different perspectives. We need to centralize this and get this back to one common set of facts. And then they talk about how news journalists are suffering because of the digital age, these new obstacles. What that is, is these alternative sources of information, the barrier to entry has lowered, which has made it harder for people like the New York Times. That's what they're saying right there. So they need to help them recover and regain control over the sources and the flow of information. And I will say, when I first wrote about Obama saying there needs to be a truthiness test and all that, which was even before the common set of facts thing that he and John McCain both promote, 
I, I talked about the Vernon Jordan. I've talked about this article so many times, but it was absolutely prescient in that it talked about Obama saying that stuff about Melania um, using the bully excuse to censor the web, uh, Facebook. That was even before uh, anyone thought she was going to be in the White House. And then Vern Jordan, the CFR guy, Clinton guy, uh, set wrote, made that speech, which was turned into an article saying that basically tech and journalism needs to join forces to correct news, to shape it, to take the responsibility for shaping people's opinions, which is exactly what they just said in that clip. Absolutely. And there's two prongs to this program. The first one is to elevate quality journalism. And there's three prongs inside that one. And how they're going to do that is one an adjusted algorithm that points to authoritative sources. They're already doing this kind of in general, but specifically in the context of breaking news and crisis situations. So what I gather from reading their PR post on this is that say something like the Parkland shooting happens and there's a bunch of information coming out. They talk about how trusted sources are out there on the ground still investigating it. Meanwhile, other people are spreading speculation that ends up being false on the internet. They say that what they're going to do is they're going to point the searches to those trusted networks that are doing the investigation. So they're not going to allow anybody who speculates or who is not a trusted authority source rise to the top of the searches. So if you publish something quickly or if you watch CNN's live coverage of, say, the Parkland shooting and you see some contradiction in the reporting, you spot something that's ignored and you write an article on that, that article is going to be suppressed in favor of anything that CNN publishes so to prevent these alternative, quote unquote, conspiracy theories from arising. Mm -hmm. That way, these news sources don't have to adjust the record and defend themselves when people are watching them and calling out their contradictions. And how about what would really be the answer to verifiable truth is every single solitary person on the ground during any event has a voice memo, has a camera, has Facebook Live, has every possible way of recording actual facts in real time, streaming without editing and generating it straight up for everybody to see forever. So yeah. what they need to do if they want to correct that, I mean, that is pure, raw facts in evidence disseminated instantly to everyone. How could you possibly combat that truth if you don't make sure that absolutely no raw data is allowed? And somehow they do it because you're not getting even these things, if they're real or false or whatever, you are not getting millions of video clips coming out of Vegas or Parkland. I mean, there should, I mean, certainly be thousands of clips coming out of Vegas. Have you seen thousands of firsthand clips coming out of Vegas? No, they're doing it for YouTube also. Like you just said, the live streaming stuff, when people are trying to stream stuff live, they talk about in their press release that they're also applying this to YouTube. They're going to have a top story section. In fact, I think it's already applying in the United States. I think they're already testing it right now. So, yeah, they're they're doing exactly what you said. They're going to be censoring these alternative sources of non-authoritative information from rising to the top. They're going to be suppressing them is essentially what they're talking about, exactly what they did before World War One and World War II. I know we talked about that last week. The second part of it, and this goes into the suppression of the news, is to fight misinformation and disinformation with what they call a disinfo lab. 
And the Disinfo Lab, they're combining some of the other techniques that they've that they've already worked with. And like I said, they're partnered with First Draft News, which is what they initially created, which is now funded by Soros and others like him. But this Disinfo Lab is going to use those trust indicators, those seven or eight trust indicators that were published like, I don't know, six months ago to determine what is disinformation and what is not. So ultimately, those trust indicators basically speak to what is a reputable authority source. A major but what is a trust news. indicator? It's a, you can trust this or is it, are there parameters? There's seven, there's seven or eight prongs. I don't have them written down. The right. first couple are like, is it a known website? The second one is like, right. do you recognize the author's name? So Which is hilarious because yeah. it, it sounds to me like they, they would all violate the fallacies, you know what I mean? Like in argument and Absolutely. debate, you know, there's all fallacies like calling on an authority when it's irrelevant or having an ad hominem attack right. when it's irrelevant. You know what I mean? It's, right. it's yeah, yeah. It all promotes the analysis of the our, person or the yes. network and not the analysis of the content. And that's why our poor education is deliberately poor. They deliberately don't want you to be able to function civically. Well, I'm glad you said that because the third prong and the most dangerous one, in my opinion, is called MediaWise, which is their digital information literacy that they will be teaching for free to teens and children around the world. And they're already offering some courses on YouTube from known and reputable. They make sure to talk about reputable YouTube stars. It's called Crash Course, if anybody wants to check it out. I watched some of the videos yesterday, and they haven't gotten to the real meat of it yet, but they do talk about in the first episode of their info, their digital info literacy, that they're going to be teaching people how to recognize trusted sources. So not how to analyze the accuracy of content, but trusted sources is what the focus is on. Well, I I told you when I was looking at different schools for my kids, there was clearly a... um, a protocol or a memo that went out at the highest levels. And these schools, you were right. When you, when you identified that Ossoff went to what was called an independent school, yeah. I just always thought of it as a private school or whatever, but they actually have, I think I'm trying to understand it, but I think they, there is kind of a, a central portal of what these elite independent schools, you know, what's the latest. It's like, I used to have a great hairdresser. It was French. And uh, he used to, I'd go back to France every year. Like he was a master hairdresser or whatever. And in order to keep up, maybe I'm, I'm got the details wrong, but I don't think so. In order to keep up his credential, or at least for his own self-respect, he used to go to these conferences where he would learn new haircutting techniques and stuff like that. He was great. So what I think it's all in good faith. They look at this stuff and say, what is on the agenda for cutting edge superior education. And and I cannot help but feel that there is a newly launched, pervasive uh, um, information assessment protocol. And there, because every single school I've been going to talks about how they teach kids to figure out truth on the internet. And they're all saying the same thing. And it's all stuff that I've raised my hand and I'm like, but you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. How can you make that argument? Why would CBS be more trustworthy than somebody you have personal experience that you have checked their evidence? You know, that should be your number one thing. Have I, can I personally, have I personally experienced truth or falsehood that I verified independently from this source or that source? Well, it's not about the evidence, Monica. It's about CBS. You've heard of them, right? 
Yes, but I that's have to what add, matters. They don't ever talk about, and this is absolutely it, it, you have to be a moron not to ask the question: Does this source have a view? Does the source have a view? Does it have an agenda? Does it have connections? Does it have an interest? You know, that should be your absolute first disqualifying factor for any source. And you could not go to any authoritative source and not say yes. No, it, they the, the question is, do they have a wrong interest? Exactly. And that circles back to my friend who literally thinks that our political speech should be suppressed when we're wrong. <laughs> All right. Now, the second part, which plays into that, is called subscribe with Google. And the pitch is priceless. The pitch is a perfect example of how they sell you on the convenience that they're offering while blinding to the broader implications. Here's the pitch. I'll read it to you. If you've ever subscribed to a news site, you know that it can sometimes be an onerous task. This isn't the publisher's fault. It's just the way websites work. You have to type in your name, your email, maybe a username, and then make up a new password. Like you, we love journalism, but we're less excited about filling in all the web forms and clicking on forgotten passwords. So today we're announcing Subscribe with Google, the simplest way to subscribe to news publications and maintain access everywhere, websites, apps, even search results. Subscribe with Google lets you buy a subscription using your Google account on participating news sites. That's the important part. Participating news sites. Select the publisher offer you'd like to buy, click subscribe, and you're done. You'll automatically be signed into the site, and you can pay securely and privately with any credit card you've used with Google in the past. Google does the billing, keeps your payment method secure, and makes it easy for you to manage your subscriptions all in one place. You'll soon be able to use Subscribe with Google on any of our launch partners, which include the New York Times and the Washington Post, liberal outlets. No right-wing or middle-of-the-road outlets involved in their initial launch. And then they go on to say that paying for a subscription is a clear indication that you value and trust your subscribed publication as a source. Since you trust that subscribed publication, they will highlight those sources across Google services. So when you search for a news topic for which your subscribed publication has relevant results, they will showcase these so that they're easy for you to see and access without disrupting the search ranking for the rest of the page. So it will be prioritized above everything else and will leave the initial impression on most people's minds about what certain stories are about. They do have a form you can fill out to try and get accepted to this program as a news source. Yeah. But if it's anything like the International Fact-Checking Network, which is their partner on this program, then it's going to be only liberal, left-wing, progressive sources that are certified. Well, this is why I feel like I should appeal my YouTube ban, even though I'm just as happy letting it run out because I don't care at all. But they would – I wouldn't be surprised if one of the questions ultimately is, have you ever been – banned or gotten any strikes on YouTube or they will know that. Right. You know what yeah. I mean? So I have to fight it. I have to fight the WordPress thing. I'm getting attacked and I just don't care. But I think I have to care because it's going to be on my permanent record. Yeah, you should repeal it. You can. You they'll uh, take it off. I don't feel like it. I'm busy. I've got ten loads of laundry to do. Uh, it takes like five minutes to send my message. Whatever. Yeah. Right. Um the point is that on the premise of it's going to be helping the reader It'd be more convenient to subscribe to what they want. In reality, it seems like it's simply going to prioritize the sources that it accepts into its program. So 
it's just another way to suppress alternative information under the guise of convenience. Yeah, to censor and promote it. And they and they act like this is the thing. Um, I actually quit Truth Star Boy on the job and I've got to get we've got to do a podcast with him because they there there's tons of evidence and we just need to bring it out of that these guys got their start and still to this day work hand in hand with the government. So they act like it's a private service that's just helping you, but they have such an advantage. Even just the government issued patents give these guys the advantage to bankrupt you before you even launch your competitor, even if you're not stealing their patents. You know what I'm saying? So they act like this is private, but it isn't because it's promoted by the government and then favors one source over another. It's it's only one or two steps removed from political censorship and violation of the First Amendment. Absolutely. Now, Don Lemon verifies everything we're talking about right now when it comes to the attitude that progressives have regarding an alternative perspective or facts that haven't been revealed. This is Don Lemon. On his show last night, they're having a discussion about the ability to criticize the students when they say really, really radical things because they're saying insanely radical things. If you watched any of the speeches at the March for Our Lives, I mean, this was insane how radical this thing was. And this is a commentator. I can't rem- remember her name right now, but it's a it's a black woman who is a Republican, and she is Mia? talking. Uh, Maybe. It might be Mia. She's talking about how you can't even criticize these students when they say something radical. Here is Don Lemon's response. They have a right to do this, but I also think that we, if you criticize some of what they're saying, then all of a sudden you're the bad guy. But if you You are the bad guy. (laughs) That's what my friend says. Yeah. No qualms about it. You're the bad guy. See, this is how they control it right here. When someone presents a reasonable argument, he rolls his eyes and goes, come on, come on, cuts them off has his say to kind of discredit what they said, and then he closes out the show or cuts to commercial. This is the rest of that conversation. And, and he's a reputable source, according to Google, yes. I'm sure. Yeah, top of the line source. He's going to be the top of your search engine when you search I mean, Cooper. The discussion here has become whether they can be criticized or, or scrutinized for some of the more extreme things that some of the people that, that have been leading this movement have said. And I think that there is some w- room here for scrutiny. That's all. I think emotion emotion is totally understandable for people who've been through terrible things, whatever it is. Uh, And I'm not in any way demeaning that or demeaning their right to express their emotion. But emotion also should not guide policy. Uh, And when it comes to policy, when you talk about an assault weapons ban, I even I hate that term. All guns, by definition, are assault weapons. So it's really a nonsense. No, they're not. In and of itself, what you're talking about is we're out of time. I gotta go. The so-called assault weapons ban was about cosmetics. I gotta go. We're over. We're over. We're over. And anyway, I. I don't think the kids should be criticized. I think that we should allow them to vent, and I think we should listen to them because we did not suffer the horrible tragedy that they did, and we should let our lawmakers do their jobs. That was a a very reasonable argument the other person was making, and he just brushes it off like it's insane. But even – was it me, love? Even the – the Republican was saying you can't call all guns – you know, that that Steve or whoever the other guy was wasn't – making friends on either side of that argument, which yeah. is usually the person you want to give some airtime to. Oh, a different opinion. Yeah, he you goes, know what I mean? all I guns are assault this. rifles. She goes, no, they're not. 
All guns are not assault. That was the Republican who said that, right? Yeah, that was the Republican who said that. Because by calling it an assault weapon, it makes it sound like guns are always used to be aggressive. And in fact, guns are what what law-abiding citizens want guns for defense. It's not for assaulting someone. It's for deterring and defending. They're all all deterrents and they're all defensive. That's how they exploit that whole thing is they don't present things with concrete definitions. The terminology they're using for the legislation that they're talking about very vaguely is, you know, close the gun show loophole, but no more assault rifles. Nobody can define exactly what these are. And that's on purpose because if you can use these vague words and you can put them into some sort of legislation, then you can flexibly apply them to any situation you want as it benefits you. That's why they're not specific on the language and the definition because specific language, concrete definitions, that limits the applicability of stuff. And to call stuff a loophole as if it's some mistake when the gun show loophole is simply a state's rights issue. They're state the states regulate those gun shows and they, they don't have to use the federal background check system. And a lot of people don't want the background check system because and this is what I was taught from when I was a kid. My father said you cannot register your weapons because when you have an invasion or you have a totalitarian dictatorship, they look, that's the list of people they kill. And it's not like, well, they couldn't kill 10 million people. Really? Ask Stalin, ask Hitler, ask Mao, ask Pol Pot. They kill, they want to kill those people. They want to reduce the population. Happened in Hungary. It happened in Iraq. They want to reduce the population anyway, because it make it easier to deal with. And they want to identify the people who will resist. That's what a gun registry is. And at the gun shows that are run by states who do not participate in the federal registry, which is what a background check is, that is because they're exercising their rights as a state to regulate that. And that is not a loophole. Right. But they want to call. I don't really get passionate, but I just that just aggravates me because they use that language on purpose because people don't ask questions about it. They just get people on board through the emotional appeal, and they say you're going to pitch this legislation, and here's what you're going to say. Here's your talking points, and they don't ever demand concrete definitions or concrete examples because if they did, it would limit the applicability. Like I said, and if they can get people to accept it as the vaguely defined terminology that it is, then if it ever gets pushed into law, they can use it to do exactly what you just said. The Supreme Court can expand its applicability to anything. They can persecute people politically. They can do whatever they want as long as they don't have to be nailed down to a concrete definition. So that's why it's funny to watch these videos when you have people asking, what exactly is uh, assault rifle? And people can't define it, and they haven't even thought about it. I have to add something, though. Good. The it all I, it took me the longest time to understand. Like just recently, I've been following this topic for as long as I can remember, and I only just recently understood what they were talking about the gun show loophole. I just uh, clicked in my mind, like it's not a loophole. And uh, I I want to tell listeners that if you it, gun owners of America, GOA, and and to a lesser extent, I think uh, the truth about guns tag whatever are two websites that i i have found some good concrete arguments i i don't think the nra is really to be trusted and i think georgia carry doesn't really keep up their website as much as they fight legislation everything they have also said you know that nra isn't 100 percent our friends but if you want to understand these issues a little better 
you have to reach into some some of the more valid experts. I recommend Gun Owners of America as a starting point to understand some of the nuances of these issues. Yes, that is a good recommendation. <laughs> I don't want to bring you down to earth or anything, Binkley. I really like the higher no, level stuff. No, we need stuff. to give people good recommendations. But this issue, it aggravated me because I it, it, they throw all that. I, I was basically bamboozled by just exactly what you're talking about. Not that I would ever promote what their cause is, but I didn't, it's hard to know the answers because you can't look at Fox News or any of those uh, bullshit crap. I'm sure I'm not curse as much anymore. The BS um, media for the real arguments, the real rebuttals, right. the real yeah. refutations, because they're not giving you, they're, they're making sure that nobody on either side thinks too deeply about it, or yeah. the argument would be over in a heartbeat. Right. I agree. Anytime that you have information or a source for people to go to, I think we should totally tell people. And certainly it starts you thinking about the issue in, in then, then from there, you know how to think about it and then you can think about it for yourself, but yeah, you don't nuanced, even know what you know. thread to pull on. What? Right. Anytime stuff is oversimplified, there is an agenda there. Maybe you agree with the agenda, but it should be investigated so that you know you're not being bamboozled. And, and you can't if, even defend it if you don't know the yeah, other exactly. guy's argument. And, and if it is, if it does serve the agenda that it claims to serve and it does align with what you want it to align with, then scrutiny is only going to confirm that if you scrutinize the nuances of it and you recognize your own bias and the fact that cognitive dissonance and confirmation bias is going to play a factor in. So it's a lot of recognize our own psychological mechanisms as well as diving into the nuances of stuff. We talk about how we don't have time to look at the nuances of everything, which is true. But what prevents us from diving into stuff like this, even more than that, what's the biggest obstacle to that is our own psychological bias and the avoidance of cognitive dissonance. It's just, it's truly uncomfortable to invalidate a belief that we've held for a really long time. It's been embedded with us and they know that. And that's why they simplify it and they polarize the debate. Absolutely. And, and I'll tell you, it really took a lot for me to even realize that that's that I just remember thinking, why are Democrats like what's wrong with them? <laughs> I wasn't a Republican. I was always a libertarian. I was like, why? And you have to you have to allow yourself to try on the other person's viewpoint in order to understand it. And I did for a long time. I was like, maybe they're right. Maybe the I, I didn't like vote Democrat, but I just thought. Maybe maybe socialism is really the way to kind of even the scales of these of these uh, inequalities and privileges that that reign across the world, and uh, and just being open minded about it, I saw that it made no sense and failed. You know, for years yeah. I would be open minded about it. So now I'm really not afraid of questioning my own assumptions, not because I think I'm going to end up being right. You know, I mean, it, it's actually kind of painful when it comes to like religious stuff or yeah. uncomfortable truths about the way the world really works and how people in power, you know, how duplicitous they are. It's painful. It's horrible to see people on your own side being like that or who you think are on your side or the origins. When you look back, some of the origins of people who call themselves libertarians, you know, it's painful. The Pope, you know, I can't stand it. But you have to have the courage to do it. And, and that is the moment when the scales start to fall from your eyes and 
I think once you allow yourself to do that, you're basically invulnerable to propaganda because you're just like, okay, what's your argument? You know, let's talk about it. You don't have to be hostile. You don't assume the dialectic where you battle each other and end up in the same place you started. Just like, hey, I'm totally into it. Tell me what you got. I'm so open-minded on my show that people, you know, as one caller said, you better not be too open-minded or your brain will fall out. Yeah, you know, but I do think that you gotta. That's you have to have courage, fortitude. I agree. Yeah, it takes it does take a lot of courage. And you said something that I don't, it reminded me of what's going on at the march and this whole movement. The march for our lives is a part of the power to the polls movement that the women's march started on January twentieth. That's what that was for. They just used the gun thing to exploit people to get there to get voter registration, and they're targeting eighteen to twenty nine year olds in that case. But what are the messages that's being delivered along with the NRA is horrible and evil and you can't question children is that the NRA put these corrupt people in power who don't care about children, who murder children, and we need to elect our people who are going to be virtuous, which is just so (laughs) insane. So it's what's so to insane. keep the bad guys on the other side from Absolutely. putting a D next to their name if that's how it really works? Right, and, and that's – I think you read that uh, – the propaganda written by Yules where he talks about the ideology and how the, the ideology, in this case the identities, are used not because the people in power believe them but because they're a vehicle to concentrate power. Vladimir Absolutely. Lenin in Russia, he saw ideology as a, a way to manipulate the masses. A tactic. Yeah. He didn't see it as something he believed in or cared about establishing. He saw it as how he can manipulate the most people. And because of the the lure of the Marxist ideology, the laying the problems of all of the suffering on the feet of the rich and powerful, it gives people a reason to not blame themselves. And it gives people hope that this person and this group that they're going to join is going to give them everything they ever wanted, which is exactly what's going on with this. I mean, this movement is a Marxist type movement, a Lenin type movement. Do what? It does something else too. And ideology helps you in a good way. I mean, principles, you know, are good, but an ideology helps you square away all of the overstimulating bombardment. Like you've seen that psychology stuff where if they take away whatever your filter is and you're actually bombarded with all the stimulation, the stimulus that you're getting, like you'll go insane. Like literally. Like my dog when he goes in PetSmart. (laughs) Yes. My people have ADD, you know, my husband, my son, they just can't absorb all the stimulation. And they, uh, so if you have an ideology it allows you to keep things in order. You have an experience and you can tuck it away into a cubby that makes sense to you. And then when that, when that paradigm, that ideology stops making sense, you can either have the courage to reevaluate it. And I don't, I'm not saying ideology doesn't exist and isn't valid. I'm just saying you're not, there are a lot of competing ones. So obviously they're not all right. But if you if you can't jam them into the cubbies anymore, your experience is you have to have the fortitude to look at it. And otherwise, and I've seen this happen in many, many people as they get older, many people, maybe most people, their their ideology doesn't fit their experiences and they start to go a little insane. It's kind of like why everybody hates their mother in law. You know, it's like you're living in a fantasy world. That's exactly not how it works. But. As you as you refuse to allow experiences that undermine your ideology from 
making your ideology change, you have to really cut off the experiences you have. You build a bubble for yourself. Yeah. You, you seek out people who agree with you and it makes you feel comfortable because yeah. it's a little scary to think that you can't really figure out how the world works. Yeah. So people really want it. And Everything that's reinforces it, it. Yeah. It's good to have principles. It's just having an awareness that it's subject to being manipulated by a skillful politician who can speak the language of that ideology. So critical questioning, just like we talked about scrutiny, that's the biggest defense in discourse. Those are always the biggest defense to propaganda. Speaking of which, we have a little bit more time, I think like 20 minutes or so. I listened to another one of uh, George Lakoff's podcast, George Lakoff, the cognitive linguist who helps establish the talking points for the left. He studies the science of language, essentially. Trigger words is uh, his specialty. His latest podcast is a doozy, I have to tell you. It's about the most boring subject in the world, yet the podcast (laughs) is really interesting to me because it shows not only on this issue but on every issue how progressives think about manipulating them, manipulating their subjects, propagandizing them, unbelievable propaganda. Keep in mind when listening to some of these clips that they're talking about this stuff. They're talking about the messaging of how they need to communicate climate change better to get more people onto their side because it's such an imminent threat. Keep in mind that the things that they're saying, they're saying them because they want their listeners to go out and do what they're saying. This just reminds me, maybe you can tell me if it folds in. We had did a show on Saturday on WSB. I was totally thrown off by like some stuff that was going on with other callers and all this kind of stuff. I was just a little distracted. And so when I got attacked by this guy, again, I guess I handled it fine. People tweeted like, oh, that was great. It, I could have done better, I feel like. But there was a guy, Kata, who called and... um I was totally attacking me. And then you uh, said, oh, yeah, you know, I've got the Lakoff clip where he tells people how to do that. And and then we actually played, found, dug up the Lakoff clip, which said to do exact down to like when people talk about the Constitution, you say this. And the guy had just said that. So when you were just telling me this is telling people what to do, is that what you're talking about? Or yes, that's exactly something what it is. Else? Yeah. There was another lady who called and was repeating verbatim Lisa. talking points. Yeah, Lisa. And she followed up on Twitter, and she was responding with the exact same talking points that we had talked about that Lakoff had told them that were on the signs and on the slogans. I, I kind of thought that this might happen because that was the day of the March for Our Lives rally. Yeah. They were at that rally, and they were told – to go do that. And they started calling after the rally broke. I would put reasonable arguments on Twitter. Like I would say, well, there's no evidence. A RAND study showed that there's no evidence that any of the proposed legislation or you don't know of, yes, (laughs) would lower gun violence. I said, obviously everybody wants to lower gun violence. So let's find a way to really do it because that legislation, there's no evidence. Her response was, we call BS. How much weed do you smoke? Something like that. Did she really? Yeah, we call BS was something that you traced directly to something like offset. Yeah, she said we call BS to me. That's exactly what she said. I'm sure she got the other line. I noticed I had to chuckle. I wasn't really following her tweets, but I saw one thing where she said uh, the marchers today who Monica likes to call, quote, kids. <laughs> I was like, you mean yeah. the children? The, the, the one, one year old? Half year old? <laughs> I saw it, like a three year old was holding a sign that was like, All right, I'm only in elementary school. And even I know this is bullshit. 
And ah. the kid's just holding it, like standing behind it. Doesn't want to hold it. Doesn't know what it says. And then I also went and found that sign on one of the websites that passes out signs on one of the Women's March websites. So not only did they have that sign, they made that sign specifically to hand out to children at the marches. What about the one that said it didn't say this, but it made me feel like that's what it was saying. Would you respect my opinion more if I was still a fetus? Yes, I saw that one. And there was like a five-year-old holding that. Kid doesn't know what that is. With a smile on her face. I was like, you know what? What if you were and nobody respected you? Those parents, it's child abuse. Some of this stuff. It actually, could you, I, I don't know if they respond to that when people take their kids to the March for Life. And I have to say, when my kids were exposed to that stuff, I used to go with my mom and I was kind of okay with it, but. When my kids are exposed to it in Catholic school, they were extremely puzzled about the question of abortion. And I actually thought it was inappropriate to expose kids that young to that subject. Yes, uh, so yeah, both yeah. sides are guilty of that, in my opinion. But I agree. I it's agree. not OK. You yeah, know? I agree. I started replying to her stuff by saying, you go, girl, resist. I, I started <laughs> going with her because I realized there's no I know this, but it's hard. You can't argue reason against pure emotion and it doesn't work and they at this rally they're conditioned to react purely emotionally and how does she even conjure up that emotion i mean it was like really are you a grown woman she was like you know she was attacking me like are you a mother i'm like you know it's 50 50 that i am anyway like how do you think that's the right that was line the dumbest defense? question that and they people got upset had by never it. listened to your show you know? Oh yeah, these people who were calling because the one guy was like, "If you were a lawyer, you would know." I'm like, "Well, I am a lawyer." Yeah, you're like, you I went to Harvard, and I uh, am a mom. Yeah. <laughs> you know what they reminded me of? I made that video where I call my senator. I, I use the indivisible script that they send out, and I call my senator, and I only use the script, and I don't change anything, <laughs> even if the response isn't what they expect. So it's just through it. They reminded me of that when they called yeah. and on Twitter. But back to what you said about that originating with Lakoff. Yeah, Lakoff talked about how it's absurd for anyone to say a good guy with a gun can stop a bad guy with a gun. Uh, the polarizing speech that Emma Gonzalez gave, which was her we call BS speech, and they had yeah. shirts and posters, and this is one of the things they pushed. At the end of her we call BS speech, she, she says two things, and this is a tactic, a propaganda tactic. They attack the reasonable arguments ahead of time so that when people hear those arguments, they go, oh, and then they respond with that short-circuited we call BS slogan that is rhythmatically and hypnotically programmed into their head through these speeches that, that are yeah. played over and over again. But during the speech, she says, they will tell us that there is no evidence that gun reforms will lower violence. We call BS. That's not an argument. <laughs> of course not. And then she goes, they will tell us that a good guy with a gun will stop a bad guy with a gun. We call BS. <laughs> And that's exactly how she responded when I linked the Rand yeah. stuff. It was we call BS. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you are so programmed. Yeah, she's you're a robot. Can I just address that actually with content for a second? Yeah, good. I This is something. Why are they – why do the good guys have guns then? Because they're evil and they hate babies. But, but I mean, why do the cops have guns? Is, is Emma Gonzalez calling for disarming the cops? Is there she people, saying yeah. the good guys should not have guns? There were some signs saying disarm the police at the march. I here's the thing. If if they really wanted to close the borders of this country, put metal detectors up everywhere 
and literally get rid of every single solitary gun, including the military and the police, I would be more okay with it than if they were just taking it away from law-abiding citizens. And I would ask Dianne Feinstein, who has some kind of sketchy history, whoa, how she took power and the gun she carries around? Yeah. If you want to go down that rabbit hole. uh, Barbie milk, right? Yeah. I mean, I think she was like on the spot. Like the story, the conspiracy theory. Harvey Milk was assassinated before she went to office, right? Him and another councilman. And I think she actually rose to her position of power through that assassination. And she was supposedly there at the time. And the, the conspiracy theory is like she was in on it, of course. And she carries the gun that did it like to this day or that whatever back up. I don't know. I mean, that's just I have that could go in the realm of crazy. I really don't know. But I would like to ask her or Paul Ryan or anybody else who has Secret Service are you, if we get rid of, if we pass a law that bans all guns, a law, piece of paper, little black lines on a white piece of paper, if we pass a law that bans all guns, will you consent to no longer have armed guards? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, why? And then the question is, why? Why would he say, no, I want my armed guards? But what are you afraid of, Paul? No one else is going to have a gun. Well, who's your guy going to shoot? Right. The guy. Who's he going to shoot? Yeah. Some guy who didn't read the squiggly lines on the white piece of paper. Yep. You know, some guy who has a gun. Oh, what about the guy who didn't read the squiggly lines on the white piece of paper who comes to my house? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They don't want to get rid of guns. You're right. They want, they're going to. I call BS. Yeah. We call BS on that. Hashtag, we call BS. But I actually made an argument with thought and logic that. I guess yes. that discredits you, me. You said we call BS, and here is why. <laughs> As the cardinal sin, don't introduce that. That's why they don't do. Oh my gosh, that folds into what we've been saying for years, a couple of years now. Why are people like Don Lemon and Anderson Cooper and the Wall Street Journal and Fox, and why is everybody, or really it was more the left guys on CNN, why don't they just pull out evidence? Why are they saying you need to believe us because we're CNN instead of actually giving evidence? You know how many times we've said that? And we speculated that they were teeing it up to never need evidence to discredit the very idea of evidence as a valid validator or invalidator. It's above them to have to justify anything. But this is where the rubber is hitting the road with that that we saw coming is what I'm saying. Do you, Brock? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Like what we talked about at the beginning of the show, if they eliminate all the sources that are like watching CNN and saying, hey, wait a minute, you you contradicted something here and you didn't point out this thing that happened during that live crisis event. If they eliminate all of those people watching the watchers, then they don't have to provide any evidence. Logic either. Logic and evidence are now uh, BS. Yeah. Both of them are on the way out. So, okay, let's play some of these lake off clips. Yeah. I'm going to play the first one, just kind of establish the tone here. They had a guy, they had a guest on. His name is David Fenton. He calls himself a media activist. He is basically a PR guy for progressives, and he loves, loves the idea of propagandizing progressives and Republicans, especially about climate change. But this is Gil Duran opening the show. I'm going to go ahead and say anytime a show opens like this, 
you can pretty much assume they don't want you really doing any critical thinking. This is Gil Durant, Diane Feinstein's former communication director. Yes, that's correct. Global warming, climate change, climate crisis, ecological apocalypse, the sixth extinction, whatever you call it, it's the biggest emergency in the history of our species and every species. Yet very few Americans define this deadly global destruction as an urgent concern. It's almost as if it's too big a problem for most people to think about. We see the signs all around us, super blizzards, massive hurricanes, endless wildfires, unprecedented floods, record heat and cold. But oil companies and climate change deniers and Republicans have worked for decades to confuse the public about what's going on. Now it's 2018, and we have a president who doesn't believe in science. So that's how the show opened right there. (laughs) Now, I'm not trying to influence you at all. I mean, that's a guy who has a point of view. He was framing Diane Feinstein's messaging. Yeah, right. I mean, that, that guy's a clown right there. That's not a, that's not a real. Well, he's a shill. He's working for somebody. Who is he working for? This is the problem now. I don't want to do rally, but like this. To manipulate democracy like that, it negates it. Right. But they say that it doesn't. They say that the other stuff, the alternative arguments, the alternative perspectives, because they're wrong, that negates democracy. Yeah, but the the idea that you don't actually want the answer to come from the people, I get that. I'm not defending democracy, and I understand we're not a strict democracy. I'm just saying there – it's just – it's 100 percent demonstrates the danger of democracy as a weapon of tyranny. All right. Um, you're going to get a lot of those themes in these few clips we have. All right, I'll, st- I'll try to uh, refrain from interrupting. This is David Fenton, the media activist and uh, PR guy for progressives, talking about the problem of awareness, of the public awareness of the climate change problem. Only 12% of the American public knows that the scientists all agree on climate change. That's it, 12%. Uh, did you know that? That's fact. <laughs> I love his focus on the 12%. He just uh, all scientists really. But all scientists definitely do not agree. That is the most he absurd thing that, I've ever that heard. 88% of the people do not buy his BS is what he's that. That's really what it is. It's not. He's like 12% of the people don't know this fact. It's like, no, 12% of the people don't believe that lie. That is another way that they're saying there's only one side of the argument but to suggest that 100 percent of people believe anything is absurd yes right yes okay so that those are the kind of people we're dealing with that that was in the first four minutes of this discussion who's their audience though it's not just who you're dealing with it's who they're talking right exactly their audience are the people that showed up to the march children type stuff they're children oh yeah lake off talks about you know, I'll, since you said that, and we, we are talking about the education, I'll go ahead and play. Okay, Lakoff gives his prescription for how to solve the climate change problem, but not only the climate change problem. This is something that he would apply to any problem. You can tell by the way he talks about it. If you listen to his podcast, you can tell every single week. He has a problem with journalism. I would change the journalism schools. Uh, I've occasionally taught at the UC Berkeley Journalism School, given the lecture on the sort of things we talked about today. And uh, the first thing I do is point out that there is no neutral language, that language is fits frames, that you're always framing no matter what you say. 
And this goes against what is taught. They are taught that language is neutral, that it just fits the world, and they're supposed to say who, what, when, why, and they're not supposed to be uh, say anything uh, that is prejudiced politically on one side or the other. They have to be fair and balanced. If they say one thing, they have to have the opposite view he on. Said, and said. He said, she said, and you know, and then you get these CNN rounds where people just argue against each other and fight, you know, and uh, it doesn't go anywhere. And the reporters and the the people who do the weathermen don't go out and say what's really happening. They do that, though. They do it already. The journalism is obviously so incredibly biased. Like, what is he calling for? You know what I mean? That's I I suggest that that what he just said is foreshadowing of he's laying the groundwork for a much bigger operation, maybe folding in with this Google uh, news thing you know the next step of that google news initiative one of the students from that school from stoneman douglas was on cnn after the march and she said journalism is activism so that's just, that's basically what like Lake is saying right here he would and, teach but the crazy part is what google is saying and what you're you know the soros fact checking thing they're saying that we don't uh, fake news is not okay we need all the same facts and but the dig a little deeper into their influences, you know, from Lakoff, who's way in the back to Emma Gonzalez, who's the face of it and everybody in between, which includes CNN and Google and everything else. They are all saying the facts need to be a vehicle for the agenda. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're calling for an inherent, um, you know, to make news subjective as a moral and practical yes. calling. Got to be moral. Yep. Yeah. So they're saying the news needs to be subjective. And then Google's saying, OK, we're going to cut off, cut out half of the news because it's not, quote, true, but true. It's like it's like Newspeak. It's like the Orwellian thing. It's like what communism would say. The words that my father taught me this about communism. He was a big cold warrior. And he said they peace means they would say peace means what's good for us so they could say peace and mean war because it didn't mean what it meant on its face it always the words themselves have a political um implication for the bias or the purpose it's that ends justifies the means thing where all the means even the words have to serve the end. Yeah, absolutely. This clip is a pretty good illustration of that. Fenton is talking about what they need to do because right now they're losing the climate change battle because people just don't care about it. And this is a very telling clip, and this theme went on throughout the entire episode. Most of the people in the environmental uh, community and the activist community in general, um, we come from the law, we come from the sciences, and we come from the humanities. And innately, we are taught uh, this enlightenment fallacy that if you present the facts to people in power, they'll make a rational decision, light bulbs will go off in their head, and everything will be great. And it's just not true. It's really never been true, but it's certainly not true now. So there's a huge imbalance happening, which is the people at the oil companies and the coal and gas companies who have this business school and business marketing background, they know to gunk up the works to confuse people. They spend money on it. They focus on it. They're very good at it. 
And we're basically largely uh, missing from this. There's a propaganda war going on on this issue, which will affect the survival of humanity. And we are not playing. We are not even on the field. So this is a huge imbalance that I think uh, is very important we all speak out about because we're not going to solve climate change without the public. A group of elites in a back room are not going to solve this. So unless we connect to the public and help them understand the nature of this emergency and how it affects them and their families, we will not succeed. The other side does that. The reason we don't do this is we don't think this way. This is not in the DNA of our community, and that's what I think we need to make this stop. I can't listen to another second of it. It's <laughs> such upside down, total crap. It all, it, the report from Iron Mountain, which like, I don't know what that. Can you hold that thought one moment? Because uh, I have a short clip that goes with that one. Uh, I can't take it anymore. It's a very short one that goes with that one. I have cognitive dissonance. Yeah, give me one more, but I'm going to cap my piece. The many hundreds of millions of dollars in climate philanthropy every year goes into the supply of policy. And we don't lack a supply of policy. We know what to do. They succeeded. We have a great supply of policy. We like demand. So they already know what they want to implement. They just have to manipulate the public nice. into accepting All right. I have to vent now. All right, go ahead. Okay. So the report from Iron Mountain, which I, I, is, people call it a satire, you know, hoax story. It's definitely, I mean, it, have, it came out in 1963. So the stuff it said was at the very least unbelievably prescient or a plot or whatever. And they talk about an environmental hoax to get people to need world government that has to cross borders and that everybody would be very hard to pull off because everyone in the scientific community and media or whatever would have to be on board with this. They would have to buy into it. So the idea of the environmental crisis came from a desire to manipulate people just in the way this guy is saying they do not do. It's really amazing to me that that guy it's you could just put opposite in front of every single sentence and it would be closer to the truth and then i have um another thing uh what you said a moment ago i meant to tell you before the clip about the morality of it i have a clip we're not gonna have time to play it there's a couple other i want to play instead but Lakoff says at one point, we need to tell reporters that it is immoral not to call hurricanes global warming and climate change hurricanes. It is immoral not to call it what it is, not to call it the truth. Yeah, that'll get people to do it. Yeah, and then the other guy goes on to say we need to tell people that um, an asteroid is coming towards the Earth or that (laughs) the North Koreans are poisoning our air and that uh, it's going to destroy our world as we know it. If we do that, then they will be like, let's nuke North Korea right now or let's nuke that asteroid. And then after they say that, we can go, ha ha, it's climate change. That's one of his suggested solutions. Yeah, that's so uh, manipulative because he's saying we can't take the chance. And this is where things are really dangerous. Yeah. We can't take the chance of trusting people with with liberty, you know, with with the responsibility of being a human being. Lakeoff talks about how Republicans need to understand that it threatens their liberty. It threatens their safety. It threatens their children's lungs. It threatens their family. He goes just in detail yeah. of all liberty the, does yeah. not equal safety. But I have to say something important is that he was talking about John Bolton was just named as national security advisor. I mean, that guy, 
I'm not going to go off on him, but when I talked last time about the portents of war, this tops the cake. That guy is scary. And um, he, I remember reading, you introduced me to a term stovepiping. And when I investigated that term for my glossary, I came out with like a New Yorker article, or I don't know where it was from one of those big publications that talked about the the word stovepiping entered the lexicon because of what John Bolton did in the Bush administration. Yeah. I think it was to promote the Iraq war, or whatever. And the stove, but think of a stove is like a big pot belly stove. It's got all the information in there. And the pipe that goes right up to the top is, is Bolton was controlling that pipe. So he, instead of having regular intelligence guys go through and analyze information, or whatever, he said, don't analyze it. Just give me all the raw data and I'm going to data mine or whatever. I'm going to pull out what I want and I'm going to shove it up the uh, stovepipe so the president sees what I want him to see. This goes back to Colonel House in the Woodrow Wilson administration, one of the founders of the CFR, who said, oh, you, we just have to control the State Department so we can control what the president Thinks and yeah. and they didn't really get full control of the White House after him was Harding, then Coolidge, then Hoover, until FDR, who was in a wheelchair. Yeah, FDR could not get out, so he was absolutely a captive to the stovepipe, which they invented. And look at what happened under under FDR. So this guy is saying we need to stovepipe to the yeah. people. That's not democracy. What what he needs to say, you know what I'm saying? What is his justification for that? As an elitist, what is his justification? He he might as well be king. Is that what he's calling for? And if you ask them honestly, some of them will say yes. They no longer believe in democracy. Bernays believed that a small group of people should be in charge like he so just said, small elites. But he said that's not our system, so we have to do it another that's way. That's the thing, and that's it's deceptive. And, you know, that's when you can start getting like Satan is the prince of lies. You know, if you want to um, put it in moral terms – lies are not okay. You, you, you sooner have the asteroid hit the earth than defend yourself. Right. Yeah. Anytime you're trying to understand the insanity of some of these progressive arguments or what they're doing, ask the question, what deep moral conviction has this issue been linked to in their minds? And that's why they're able to, with such passion, show no use of reason and are purely yeah. driven emotionally because yeah. of that moral thing that's embedded deep within them. All right. This is the last one I'm going to play. So I think we're about out of time. This is one of the proposed solutions that Arnold Schwarzenegger is already implementing. And uh, then that'll be it. This week, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Republican, former California governor, megastar, uh, announced that he's going to sue major oil corporations for first degree murder for what climate change is doing to the planet because of their product. Bravo. George, what do you think about that framing? I think it's an excellent idea. There's a court, a court suit uh, right now. Uh, the San Francisco Chronicle had a story today on uh, a suit in San Francisco uh, before a judge saying that the oil companies are responsible for sea level rise and uh, they should be paying for a seawall. I think there should be lawsuits everywhere. Schwarzenegger's lawsuit is a great one. It's a very, very important one. Rex Tillerson knew for decades that his business model and his products were going to swamp the coastal cities of the world. He knew that. 
That is the definition of war criminal, in my view. But we don't talk about it this way. And we allow the media to treat people like that with respect. Incredible. So this is another measure of how we don't galvanize the public. We are so meek about these things. So these lawsuits are very important. There was a study released a couple of years ago about the discovery of oceans that are embedded deep within Earth's core that have been slowly leaking out for centuries that could potentially contribute to the rise in sea levels. My point in expressing that is that there are a variety of factors that we don't know about that also contribute to some of these things. And he already said a moment ago, we already have the policy. So that means that they are unaffected by new information. And when you're unaffected by new information, that's propaganda. That's not Al Gore has multi-million dollar property in Santa Barbara. That's why would he do that? Yeah. Yeah. I got to go. All right. Thank you. See you later. Thank you. Bye. See you later. Subscribe at propagandareportdaily.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our Patreons and people who have donated on PayPal. You are the reason we can continue doing the show. We will talk to you next time.